Hello, and welcome to Unsheathed with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs. Hi, welcome to Unsheathed, episode number 20. We're Two. almost old enough to drink. Wow. Which is kind of ironic, because I've been drinking it the whole time, so... At least you are old enough to drink. Yes. Um, I actually am partaking a little bit of tonight's alcoholic beverage, which is a very nice port that was brought over by a friend of ours from England. Yeah, it's from Harrods, which I didn't know they did alcohol. I think they do just about everything. That's a good point. They're like fancy providers of all goods and sundries. And uh, in addition, the... uh, background wallpaper of this episode is being provided by the talented artist Blotch. Uh, We've managed to get one of our devices here to display all of the pictures on Blotch's Scratches Volume 3 in succession. Um, This episode is brought to you by Booze and Gay Porn. (laughs) If you're interested in picking up one of the collections on your own, you can find it at uh, www.screwballd.com. Dot com. That's S-C-R-E-W-B-A-L-D dot com slash scratches. And uh, it is well worth it. Yeah, if I start like in the if I start saying something and kind of drop off in mid sentence because I've had some picture just splattered right across my face and Or if uh, or if he breaks into the middle of a letter and says, Oh, I wish I was that fox <laughs> Or that husky or that tiger or all the other myriad critters oh, that, that I'm... Thylacine. Thylacines are attention-getting. Uh, they have the stripes pointing right to their hips. Oh, so now you've got me all wistful. <laughs> anyway, I'm Kyle Gold. I am easily distracted Cam Hirasaki. And um, we have this week... A final update on NaNoWriMo from those listeners who were courageous enough to not only participate, but to write in and tell us how they did. We, yeah, th- we salute we, you. Yeah, I think we got uh, responses from most of them, actually. Um, I want to say Jarolyn and Chacal did not write in and tell us how they did. So we're calling them out by name. Okay, yeah. Um, Put your pants back on and get to your, <laughs> get to your email <laughs> programs. Drunk raccoon is drunk. A <laughs> uh, bunch of people now hate me for doing that internet meme again. Um, but, but not tube. But not tube. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Damn it. Figure that one out. Um, so anyway, we are, uh, we're, we're also drinking, watching gay porn, and also fairly tired. So this is going to be a really interesting half hour here. Oh, this port is good. I just finally took a sip of it. It's really nice. Um, so we have NaNoWriMo updates and we got, uh, several emails, um, in response to our episode on relationships with writers and non-writers and all that. So, yeah, which I think was a topic I kind of started by accident. Well, it kind of came up because people kept saying they wanted to hear Kit on the podcast. And I said, well, there's a real simple way to get Kit to speak on the podcast, and nobody's right. figured it out yet. And then when I said that, a couple of people figured out that, oh, if they ask a question of Kit, and the most obvious question, I guess, is, you know, what's it like living with a writer, and do you do any writing, which is basically what people ask. Oh, yeah. Those are fair things to ask. So we're going to start off with the NaNoWriMo updates, because they're kind of short. 
we will talk about uh, we're not we're not getting a lot of emails about holidays so I think we may um, next week just kind of talk a little bit about holidays and then do some regular re email responses and we'll see what we'll see what kid has planned yeah I, I'm surprised there hasn't been more of a holiday outpouring but maybe many of our listeners are atheists and do not celebrate the um, Krishnika Kwanzaa season. But I love secular Christmas. Kwanzaa Mas. Kwanzaa Mas. Christmahana Kwanzaa. <laughs> You're always better at that than I am. Why don't you go ahead with the first one? Now I'm going to sample this port here. Okay. So uh, this one comes from Kaz. He says, Hi, guys. I had almost completely forgotten that I wrote into Unsheathed regarding my NaNoWriMo attempt, so thank you for the reminder in your latest episode. I regret to say that I did not meet the goals set for the month. My novel finished the month around 27,000 words and about a third of the way through the plot. On the other part, I'm very pleased with how the story is coming out, so I'm not going to stop just because the month is over. I think this is a shot at being a really good novel, so I'm going to finish it, and soon. Thanks to both of you for being the last straw that pushed me into actually doing it. Sincerely, Kaz, who has now upgraded from blowjob enthusiast to blowjob connoisseur. I'm um, glad he's been... Getting more exposure, as it were. Yeah. And really, 27,000 words for one month is... A, that's pretty good. That's a substantial... That's way more than I write in a month. I mean, if you do that for three more months, you got a novel. Yeah, and he says he's a third of the way through. And so, 90,000 words is definitely an awful length. Yeah, so keep on going. And yeah. congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. And I'm, I'm glad that uh, this show has prompted at least one person to actually do some writing. Yeah, we're not wasting our time just sitting around drinking and watching gay porn every night. <laughs> you know, if th that's what I have in store for the rest of my life, I can be okay with that. Yeah, I, I, think, it's like, I the, think I'd be fine. You know, that's okay, Monty. I'll just take behind the door I already picked, you know? All right. Um, I'll, write, I'll read our next uh, NaNoWriMo update. <laughs> from. Uh... Sorry. I'm just debating what, what horrible... Uh... Fun to make, but nah, ah, see. <laughs> Kyle was having to have to go down in his microphone, but Kit got it back up for him. I, my my microphone was gone somewhat droopy, but <laughs> Kit managed to get it up again. Yeah, and it looks like it's gonna stay there. It's not gonna be droopy again anytime soon. Oh, it doesn't go down till Kit lets it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like this episode already. And there's a nice little fox and wolf picture on the screen just for that comment. Uh, so our second letter is from Atari, who says, Hello again, you two. I figured I should probably send in a final report on how my NaNoWriMo projects went, since I was one of the people who still has yet to do so. I started off the month really well and met my goal almost every day. Sadly, I wish I could say my entire month went like this, but I had some severe situations in school come up and kick me in the tail. I hate when that happens. Yeah. I had to shift almost all of my focus into trying not, uh, sorry, into trying to not fail my classes, which was a bit upsetting but necessary. I do hope to try this again once my finals let out and I'm off of school for three weeks as a kind of redemption, though. I still feel like this experience was a success because this was easily the most I've ever written in a two-week period. My final word count was 13,940. It's not great, but I guess it's better than what I normally would have put out in two weeks. 
Anyways, as I said, I'm aiming to redeem myself during my winter vacation, so I'll send you both an update on that if you want one. Thanks, and keep up the good work on the podcast. Absolutely, send us an update. Yeah. And again, you know, same pace as Cause actually, about 13, 13, 9 over two weeks, works out to about 27 and change over a month, so... Yeah, and um, uh, you guys are doing great. And yeah. just, I think one of the main things about Nanorama is it's not intended to stop at the end of the month. Yeah, I mean, technically the competition ends, but the whole point of it is to get you into the habit of writing, to get you exposure and um, not exposure, but to get you into practice and thinking about the way that you write, and to get you to keep doing it. So you know, by all means. Your novel doesn't have to end just because it's December. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, the, the writing doesn't stop just because you've hit a certain date, unless you're Neil Stevenson. <laughs> I don't understand that reference. Both Snow Crash and The Diamond Age just sort of, they don't end, they just kind of stop. And it very much feels like, you know, like, I can imagine his agent being like, hey, we need your manuscript, and him just going... Okay, here's what I have. Print this. Just, <laughs> that's kind of how it feels. I mean, and I like Neil Stevenson. I haven't actually read a lot of his newer stuff. I've only read Snow Crash, yeah. and I am I am a fan I enjoyed of Snow that, Crash. But, it's a little dated, but not terribly. I enjoyed that, but the problem was that the the science that he was turning into pseudoscience in the book. I think I knew a little too much about it to let myself fall into his you know, suspend my disbelief totally for it. It was kind of a, the whole, like, language is a way of programming humans, and I'm like, no, because I know how language develops, and it's organic, and I've seen it change, and I don't, I don't buy that. It just doesn't work. It's like Fred Pohl saying that there's something magical about the number minus 40 because it happens to be the same number on both the Fahrenheit and centigrade scales. It's that, like that's an artificial human construct. That's two artificial human constructs yeah. that happen to intersect, and there's nothing special about it, that number. So anyway, that would, sorry, that's in like the second or third gateway novel. If anyone ever read that far, which you really don't have to. I did pick up a copy of Gateway while I was up in Seattle after Rainforest, but I haven't read Ga- it yet. Gateway is a great book, but yeah. the second one I believe is called Beyond the Blue Event Horizon, and then there's. I know there's a Hichi whole... Rendezvous or something like that. Yeah. They're not... They're interesting if you like the world and really want to pursue the characters, but, you know, for my money, you could stop with Gateway and go on to read some other classics after that, which kind of ties into the next email, actually. Yes. So this one is... So from... anyway, congratulations, Atari. Please yes. keep us keep us posted, and uh, best of luck with your writing. Yeah, and you're absolutely forgiven for, you know, putting school ahead of NaNoWriMo on your priority list. Absolutely. And we'll send you off with a very nice picture of an otter up on the yeah. screen. Oh, no, there's two otters. Oh, they're multiplying. Oh, two otters. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so this one comes from our perennial favorite, Condrill. It says, hello again. Well, I've got an update and a question for you two. First, NaNoWriMo was interesting. I think, if anything, it was a lesson in the way I write, and conversely, how I shouldn't write. I did barely hit my word quota, but I don't believe I'd be willing to show it to anyone. (laughs) The story just feels horrid. It reads rushed and disorganized, and I can't believe that this travesty erupted from my keyboard. So if anything, I have learned that if the writing style I have works, don't change it. I may write a little slower than half a novel every month, but I do keep the words flowing as is. 
So as sad as it is to waste the work, I think my best option is to just trash the work for the month and start back over without the manic rush. So uh, before I move on to the actual question, uh, first of all, congratulations for getting the uh, words out. Yeah, congratulations. Anytime you manage 50,000 words in a month, that's an accomplishment. Yeah, and, and like you say, like, you know, it, it if it feels rushed and disorganized, I think that, you know, that... I think that's a likely outcome of doing NaNoWriMo at all, but I'd be surprised that if in that 50,000 words, none of it is salvageable or, I mean, if you're not going to ever show it to anyone, you can steal from yourself. Exactly. Yeah. So if you have some, keep it around. Yeah. I mean, if you have some good chapters or even just some good passages or some good ideas that you came up with that you want to repurpose, I mean, until you put something out there, it's perfectly legitimate to plagiarize yourself. And the other thing about that is, if generally tend to write very deliberately and more slowly and thoughtfully, then your prose takes on kind of a very structured, very formal character. And having the manic rush can get you to do things that feel more spontaneous and organic. And they may not feel as finished to you, but they may have a better energy than you normally do. So well, the kind story of goes- I just wrote. Yeah, kind or that of, I'm still working on. Go back and go back and look for those kind of passages, and just sort of read through and see if there's anything that jumps out at you where you say, "Ah, oh, I really like how this sentence flows," or "I really like how this description sounds." And you know, like Hirosaki-san said, "Steal from yourself." Yeah, it's um, it's allowed. We will allow it. Yeah, just don't steal from your own stuff once it's already been posted or published. Then you come across as a hack. Yeah. Or Piers Anthony. <laughs> Wait, didn't isn't that what I just said? <laughs> oh, oh, snap! <laughs> Continuing with Candle's email, he says, On the question side, I'd like to know what writers, specifically in the sci-fi genre, if there is one, whose work you find inspiring and or who you believe has helped shape your work to the way you write today. Personally, I cite Isaac Asimov and Orson Scott Card, because of their ability to write sci-fi without letting high technology and technobabble overwhelm the characters and story. Thanks for your comments, guys, both past and present. Condrell. Uh Well, we talk a lot about David Mitchell, but he's... Uh, he's you, not really sci-fi. He's not really sci-fi. He's more speculative fiction, or... Not even he's speculative. not even speculative. No, that's it's just the wrong term. He's it's kind of alternative. Yeah. I don't know if there's a word for it. He's almost fabulous. He's almost... Cloud Atlas certainly gets there. And so does... Uh, Number Nine Dream. So does um, Ghost Written, actually. Yeah, I haven't read Ghost Number Nine Dream. The only one that doesn't is Black Swan Green, which I think is the most cohesive of the books. So Yeah. Well, and um, also his most recent, so I hope that he gets better. But uh, I actually had a conversation uh, with Kaz about Orson Scott Carr the other day, very briefly. We were talking about uh, his stuff. But I've actually only read very little of it myself. Actually, if there's one sci-fi, because uh, Candrel asks, you know, who has shaped, uh, you know, our work. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned it on the show before, specifically as, in, uh, you know, influencing my writing. But I know that early on, especially when I started, uh, I was really big into David Weber. I know I've mentioned David Weber on the show. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you mentioned him a couple times, yeah. but that might have just been talking who, who, to me. Who, who does, definitely does not fall into the category of not using technology and technobabble. But uh, well, I, I mean, can, Tom Clancy is a best-selling author, yeah. so technology and technobabble all have the place. If, oh yeah, and and I, they certainly do in uh, in David Weber's work because it's 
it's almost more military fiction before it's science fiction. No, that's a really hot picture. <laughs> uh, I knew it was going to happen at least once. Oh, that <laughs> one's nice too. Keep reading. Keep talking. Keep, keep talking about... Uh, but no, if I look at a lot of my earlier stuff from, say, like 2003, 2004 even, I can see the... Yeah, I was totally reading a lot of David Mitchell in my own words there. I can definitely tell yeah. that, that was in there. Um, I'm going to say actually that as much as I like, as much as I read a fair amount of science fiction, and I just cited Fred Pohl, um, I can't think of a specifically science fiction author who shaped the way I write. Um, the authors that really influenced me from a writing standpoint have been more fantasy. Uh, and I think that's, in general, um, the science fiction that I read is all sort of science fiction of ideas. Gateway's an exception because the Gateway's told is two stories. The first story, and they're interwoven. So the first story and the framing story is the main character undergoing psychotherapy for an incident that happened, which happens at the end of the other story, which you get told in the interstitial bits, which is the story of his adventures on the asteroid, the asteroid gateway. Um, so it's very character driven. Uh, but even that one I read a while ago, uh, I talk about Tim Powers. Oh, I yeah. think I've mentioned him a couple times. He's kind of contemporary urban fantasy, but not like fairy, no vampires. Um, he's more this sort of occult, side world almost where yeah. there's like a, a fisher king and there's sort of these occult powers that move around more or less in conjunction with our world but hidden so like he says homeless people are some some bums that you see on the street are actually just collections of old clothes and newspapers sort of animated by oh. ghosts or forces and um he does a lot of really interesting stuff and his, his ideas and just the, the concepts of the worlds really, I love that. And I, I kind of tried to do a little homage to him with the Jacks to open and the I like, I like further books. So yeah, I need to write more. In yeah. It. I'd like to... I'll, there will be more in the furry fiesta con book. Oh, nice. Um, and another one that I just sort of was reminded of recently because I was recommending them to a friend, was the um, Stephen Donaldson, the Chronicles of Thomas Covenant. Oh, right. Okay. If only because the characters that he comes up with are so complex and detailed, and the world is really complex as well. And just, you know, not all the characters are likable. In fact, probably fewer than half of the characters are likable. And... Bad things happen to them all the time. But they don't but, need to be likable as long as they're interesting to read about. Right. And but and but he gives them depth and you kinda of, you understand where they're coming from, and specifically the main character where he's kind of a bastard and but you get that understanding of him throughout. Um that's uh Yeah, that's Speaking about that homeless person bit, did I ever tell you about the theory that my one friend had where anytime you see a homeless person just sort of looking like he's talking to himself, 
he's actually having a conversation with another homeless person on the other side of the country who also looks like he's just talking to himself. Wow. And you'd have like no that. idea of you'd, you'd have no idea and that would be really trippy. It's like those whispering arches kind of. Yeah. Only not quite as hot. Right. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I wow. see what I did there. Wow. I hadn't thought about that in a long time. I remember where I was when I first read that scene. I can't even remember what story it's in now. It's in Pendant of Fortune. It is. Yes. You're right. You're right. It's well, funny. I haven't read that book in like four years, so. Well, there you go. You're... All right. That's a, there's a Whisper and Arches scene in Pendant of Fortune. And it's hot. And apparently it's hot. Like that picture. <laughs> like all these pictures. <laughs> all pictures are hot, but some Scro- pictures are more hot than others. <laughs> <laughs> Screwball.com slash scratches. Um, okay, so we'll move on. So congratulations to everyone who did NaNoWriMo. Um, you know, whether you did 13,000 words or 27,000 or 50,000, you know, you went out there and wrote. You got something down. And if you're going to continue the project, awesome. If you just learn something about how to write and how you write and how best to do it, awesome. You guys are all terrific. Um, Hirosaki-san and I did not participate per se in NaNoWriMo, but I think these days we kind of never really stop writing. So yeah. it's sort of like NaNoWri life. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway... So we're going to move on. We uh, we talked last episode about some relationships, specifically the relationship that Kit and I have. And Kit talked a bit about what it's like to live with a writer, and we speculated on what it might be like to uh, live with someone who was not a writer. And so we have a letter from kind of the other side of that, from, do you know how to pronounce it? Drenthe? That's how I pronounce Drenthe? it. Drenthe? Drenthe, because that's how it would be. I, I tend to Drenth. think in, like, Greek or something. Oh, my God. He was out in the rain, and he's Drenth. <laughs> um, I shouldn't do that. So, Drenthe writes, Greetings, writer's son sheaths. And I should point out that we have sheaths. Just, we're just not in them. We're just not in them at the moment. Uh, in Unsheath number 19, you asked what it was like being a writer in a relationship and the relationship stresses that ca- that caused. I happened to have been in a slightly different relationship because I was dating a non-furry writer, a self-conscious non-furry writer. Now, I am not a writer by trade. I actually fall under Alex Vance's definition of a not-writer, one who is capable of writing but all too often finds himself not writing when he ought to be writing. My day job is one of those math guys, a computer programmer, In my girlfriend's eyes, I was not writer material. She, on the other hand, was a classics major, an avid reader. Stephen King was her favorite. You mentioned him in the podcast. With several large bookshelves worth of literature, and she had been working on a novel for several years. So the idea that I was a published author, even in an anthology of short story Ferotica, Fang 3, while she had yet to be published, grated on her something terrible. Something terrible. She would never let me read anything she wrote. I barely even knew if she was writing anything unless I was chased out of the computer room because she was typing. I believe I got to read one chapter of one unfinished story. I told her I liked it except for the one part that she didn't like either, and she never let me read anything ever again. 
In the end, the only story I ever wrote during the years we were together was a story about cheating on one's girlfriend. That was obviously a secret project. <laughs> wow. I want to just quote Fuzzwolf here. Kudos and say, to you, sir. <laughs> I want to just quote Fuzzwolf real quick and say, chicks are crazy. You should date dudes. <laughs> Amen. Uh, that's that's really interesting. And, you know, a lot of a lot of writers are really self-conscious and have issues, self-esteem issues around their writing, um, especially if that kind of dynamic uh, I've not run into, but where sort of like, you know, I'm writing something big and important and you're just writing hack fiction, but you're the one who gets published. Um, I, I actually know a couple who the uh, the wife was an art school student went to you know graduated from art school had all the sort of art degrees and her husband was a programmer or something and he was kind of messing around with neon tubes and made a bunch of little neon tube sculptures just by bending them and then flowing neon gas through them and he got a gallery exhibit before she did (laughs) but she didn't mind because she's doing gardening now so oh there you go um that's interesting i do think that the self-consciousness about not wanting to let anyone ever read anything you write is something that if you're going to be a successful writer, you're going to have to get over. Yeah, you really can't. I mean, that that's just going to cripple you and your ability to grow as a writer. And especially it sounds like um, she was not interested in letting him into her writing as opposed to him not being interested in her writing. It seems like he tried to be interested. Yeah. And, and you know, I do agree with you. If someone... And I've had that feeling, and I know you have too, where mm-hmm. you're working on a story and you're like, well, I'm working on this, but I don't want to tell you about it till it's done. I don't want anyone to look at it while it's in process, which I think is actually fairly valid. If, you, yeah. if you're doing a first draft, and I've seen writing books that say never show anyone your first draft because yeah, you I want to write your first draft and then you should go back through it again and fix the glare in things because there's – always going to be stuff that you can fix after a first draft. Um, yeah. I don't necessarily hold to that myself. Yeah, neither do I. If only for the simple reason that if you're showing it to people with their knowledge that this is a first draft and you know that people on both sides of the equation know that, yes, there are glaring errors to be found and neither of you are going to hold that against you for that, then I think that critiquing and you know going over a first draft is completely valid. Yeah, I do I that. Agree. I We've said done you that. My first drafts. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, I feel bad that that didn't work out. I kind of feel bad for her because she's here working on her big novel project, but she's not getting to share it with anyone. Yeah, that and I don't usually like a lonely existence. I don't usually share works in progress, although um, depending on whether or not I, how far I get in the out of position sequel, I may end up. Uh, reading some of it to Kit over the holidays. But uh, it's, you know, it's it all depends on, on the people, and it all comes down to having a group of writers and critiquers that you trust and that you can show that first draft to and have them treat it like a first draft and not have them say, wow, you're a shitty writer, I can't believe you threw this thing in here that doesn't make any sense. But to have them say, okay, it's a first draft, 
these are the things that I think you need to work on. I think the idea is definitely worthwhile. I think you've got the beginnings of something great here. So this is what I would do, you know, in your next pass and people that can be with you through that whole process. Uh, it's a terrific resource to have. And I know half the emails I get from would be writers are like, how do I find that group? Well, you just got to keep posting your stuff out there, read the comments people make on it and pick out the comments that are most insightful. And, uh, yeah. actually just over this past year, I've found, uh, very nice new crop of people I feel are really great to send my works in progress to, or at least my drafts in progress. Yeah, I've actually uh, I found a couple new ones too this year. So yeah. it is possible. It's not just, and these aren't all people that live in proximity to us. Yeah. In fact, I have, none of them are. Well, except for the people who have been around since before this year. Right. And that's our, our little group, which yeah. our little group is... Honestly, the most awesome writing group. And, you know, I'm sorry, but you, you guys, we're not going to have anything like that. I want to make posters that say Kyle Gold has a posse. <laughs> uh, we're all each other's posse. Yeah. I wonder how many oh. of our listeners get that reference. Oh, I, hello. I want to make posters of that picture. Yes, I do. <laughs> I, damn. Read a letter. Our next letter comes from Trendane. <laughs> First off, let's say that I was asking. Let's say that I think asking for folks to write in about this is probably going to darken the mood of the show a little. Hopefully, it doesn't summon too much angst. Oh come on, we just got one email about somebody secretly writing a story about cheating on his girlfriend that fits in with my style of storytelling already. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. and I don't think it brought down the mood because we yeah. both laughed about it. And if not, kick and bring it back up again, and keep it there. I, I will say that uh, it, it my. Uh, my little microphone here has stayed up through now. And I've got the little fluffy sheath on mine. But, uh, back to the email. <laughs> I wouldn't say that any of my relationships were ended by my desire to write, but possibly wounded by the Catch-22 I almost always found myself in. If I asked him to read something I'd written, he would draw the most negative interpretation and try to equate it to our relationship. And if I had a place that I knew he would throw into a downward spiral... So I sent it to someone else to get their opinion of it, and he found out about it. That was almost just as bad. That said, there was also always a double standard in my relationships. If I wanted to spend time with him while he wanted to do something else, I was pestering him and keeping him for something he enjoyed. If I wanted to spend time with me and while I was trying to write, it was completely unacceptable and I didn't want to spend quality time with him. Perhaps that's why I fell out of the habit of writing. I guess I've got some reprogramming to do. That's tough. Yeah, it, that is really tough, and that and that kind of sucks. And I think that that sort of falls under two things I've mentioned on the show before. Is one, you know, how it just kind of doesn't really always jive if you're big in writing and the person that you're with isn't and can't really under understand and or appreciate that. And also, again, about how difficult and important it is to be able to find time to write. Yeah, and I think that that letter highlights something that we hadn't really touched on in the last episode which is it's not just that it can cause strain on the relationship but it can actually discourage you from doing writing because you feel like you're every time you are doing writing you're betraying the relationship or you're 
you know, the right and comes at the cost of the relationship and vice versa. Right. And when those things are forced to, into opposition to each other, that's not healthy, uh, at least, you know, from my perspective as a writer. I think, I mean, I think that in any, you know, if you're in a relationship or not, anyone needs their alone time and their personal time and things to do, their hobbies and whatnot that their partner doesn't necessarily share. I think that, if you're in a sort of relationship where the two of you always have to do everything together, then I think that's unhealthy in its own right for other reasons. But yeah, I mean, being able to, you know, have, you know, it's like, you know, I'm doing this and, you know, yeah, you're not a part of that, but that doesn't mean I'm ignoring you. I mean, that's. Well, yeah, not to, not to step on the toes of the good folks over at Notcast about relationship issues, but um, I think, I don't know that it's necessarily unhealthy per se to be doing everything together um, if you're in that kind of relationship where you want to. If you start to feel like you have to and you're forcing yourself into situations that you'd prefer not to be in because one or the other of you gets really freaked out yeah. if you do stuff on your own, that's I think that's not unhealthy. Yeah, that's more by event where it's like... Simply the fact that you're doing everything together does not... I don't think is is unhealthy per se. No, yeah, and, th- and yeah, that that's more on the long lines of what I meant. And similarly, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's unhealthy to do nearly nothing together. Um, you know, you question at what point you can still call it a relationship, but you know, as long as there's something holding the two of you together, and you both know what that is, and you're both comfortable with it, blowjobs. If I was going to say <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> If all you share is if all you share is blowjob enthusiasm, then uh, you know, Godspeed to you both. But um, but the thing is that you know you have to you have to agree on where your boundaries are and on what each of you needs as far as private time. I've been to actually a couple wedding ceremonies that included the very specific stipulation that. We will spend time apart as well as grow together like two oak trees in a forest who share the forest but are separate. And <laughs> I found it very amusing that they had to call that out in a wedding ceremony, but it's something that's important to people. They want to say, you know, simply because I'm bound by this contract, by this ceremony, by this sacrament, that doesn't mean that I'm no longer my own person. I, mean, I will say that I've been in relationships with people where it's, been like, all right, look, really, I can't be around you all the time. And if you insist on trying to be around me all the time, it's going to drive me crazy. And you're just going to make me want to finally just get away from you. And at some point, I'm going to overshoot that and get too far away from you, and you're never going to see me again. That's a story idea right there. Uh, yeah. There we go. Um, so we we did have one more email, but I think we're going to leave it for next time. Um partly because we're running up to our time limit and partially because we've already read an email from our good friend Condrell. Yep. So, Condrell, sorry, we'll read you next... We'll read, we, we will read your other email next time. We already had our quorum of foxes. Yes. Um, and there's some more. <laughs> um, but, uh, so I think we'll, we'll kind of leave it there. I'd, I'd be interested, actually, if anyone, any of the writers out there are in a happy relationship with people who enjoy their writing and, and how that's affected their writing. Uh, you know, I know we have, I think we it have might at just least, be you. 
<laughs> well, we have at least Chacal and Geraldine. Even oh, if they're true. even if they're too ashamed to write in and tell us how Nanorama came out, they can at least talk about how they. Uh, I know they're in a happier relationship together. Yes, I know that too, and I'm certain there's others out there that are in uh, happy relationships. So tell us happy stories about writing relationships. Um, yeah, but despite and, what you might assume from reading my stories, I I do like happy tales. Yes, we do, and but uh, just don't know about my happy blowjob. <laughs> Uh, I've got a whole, anyway, um, uh, we're going to just leave it there. That's, I think, enough for tonight. We're both tired. The glasses of Porto empty. It's, uh, after midnight and, um, and I'm still not bored of watching all this porn flip by. Yeah. You know, I have a feeling it could go on for another couple hours. So I think we're going to cut it off before you get bored. I will leave your house if you ask me or to. Or days. Um, no, I meant I meant the podcast, not the porn. Oh, okay. I was going to say, because FA's been down, and I don't know when it's going to be back. That's a good point. Hopefully it'll be back by the time this is posted, but it was supposed to be back today, I thought. Now this, apparently it's going to be tomorrow afternoon Pacific time. Okay. So it should be up by the time we post this. So they say. It should be within 24 so hours. So people in, people in the future... Y'all are so lucky you have F.A. We here stuck in the past. We don't have it. And we yeah. have to watch CDs. And people in the future, if you do have Skynet, please do not let it send robots back into the past <laughs> to kill us and help maintain its terrible future. Uh, unless they're androgynous robot foxes who give blowjobs, then you can yes, send them back. send them back. In fact, send them back about 48 hours ago. Uh, yeah, I was going to say send them back to about five minutes from now. But um, our email address is unsheathedpodcast at gmail.com. We are unsheathed on FA, which, which will, will exist in the future. Which will exist in the future. And I am Kyle on FA and kylegold.lifejournal.com, which apparently some people don't know about because I still got a, oh my God, you're writing a sequel to Out of Position when I mentioned it the other day, even though I've talked about it on the Live Journal a few times. And you're also Kyle Gold at Twitter. I'm also Kyle Gold on but Twitter. You do, you do less updatey stuff on that and more lifey updates on that. Yeah, I do. Um, I was twittering a little bit tonight about the amount I was writing, but yeah. anyway, me too, because I was with you. Yes, but uh, yes, I am Cam Hirasaki, one word on Twitter. Cam Hirasaki, one word on LJ, and in your terrible, godless future. KM underscore Hirosaki on for affinity. In the future, all the underscores are fashionable. Oh, yeah. It's like the camel case of the 22nd century. Exactly. Well, thank you for listening. I'm Kyle Gold. I'm Cam Hirosaki. Good night. Good writing. And free porn. <laughs>